Before we get into today's game scoop, let's take a moment for a shout out to our sponsor, Squarespace. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create an awesome website, connect with your audience, and sell anything all in one place, all on your terms. With Squarespace, you can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream. You design your products, and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you, saving you time and money. You can sell your products in an online store. Whether you sell physical, digital, or service products, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. Use insights to grow your business, learn where your site visits and sales are coming from, and analyze which channels are most effective. Improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on top keywords or most popular products. Ready to get started? Head over to squarespace.com gamescoop for a free trial. And when it's showtime, use our special promo code gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode of GameScoop is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com gamescoop for your free audiobook download. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to GameScoop. I am your host, Damon Hadfield. Making his GameScoop debut today, joining us, is Vince Ingenito. Hello! I, did, I said it right, yes? <laughs> you nailed it. Like, okay. perfect. It's pretty good. Good ask for more. Dan Stapleton is also here today. You didn't say that right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I butchered your name. It's Stapleton. Everyone knows that, Demon. You'd, you'd be surprised. I've, I've heard Stapleton from Telemarketers. <laughs> no. That's, that's good. Nope. Stapleton? <laughs> nope. The English that was not being spoken by that person. Mispronouncing your name. Mispronouncing your name is going to be tough. Yeah. Isn't it great that telemarketing has pretty much gone away, right? Like, oh, I got a call yesterday. Really? Yeah. No. It was awful. This one over here is Justin Davis. Scoop. And what, do you have something to say? I just like how Dan's whole, <laughs> I, your whole, your, this, your sentence was, I got a phone call yesterday, it was awful. <laughs> it is kind of the worst. Never call me. People call me, I don't, I'm like, what? Yeah, no, you're right. Just text. Anyway, today we're talking about Diablo 3. When it launched last year, it's real money auction house was a controversial uh, subject. Now, That's little, one way you could put yeah. it. How did it work? It allowed people to sell the, the game items that they found for real world money, right? Well, so, so it's, it's not just the, the, the real money auction house. The real money auction house didn't launch until a few weeks after launch. Right. But uh, the auction house, the, the gold auction house, yep. uh, radically, yeah, 
They're two, two separate auction yeah. houses. It radically changed the way the way Diablo is played because traditionally it's all, all about, about hitting that loop pinata until it explodes and something good falls out. And then you you have that and you're like, oh my, oh my God, I've got this. Now I can you know, either use it to hit more loop pinatas or trade it with somebody else. Um, and around that and in Diablo 2, uh, there was this black market economy that sprung up on third-party websites and people were getting ripped off. So Blizzard was like, okay, the auction house uh, was supposed to fix let's, that. Let's right. formalize it, and let's let's you know. And Blizzard was getting a taste of it as well. Right. But they they created a system similar to what you have in World of Warcraft, where there's an auction house where people have this this big persistent economy where they're they're trading stuff. And Blizzard thought, okay, let's take that great idea we had for WoW and put it in, in Diablo. So what happened was, it, you're right. Diablo used to be a game of you know I'm a you know barbarian or whatever class. I'm gonna I'm gonna run this boss a bunch of times until I get the barbarian drop that I need. And then in Diablo 3, it became, I'm just going to grind out gold until I can buy the barbarian pants or whatever it is that I need. It really did fundamentally change the way that the game felt and played. Or I'm going to grind out washing dishes in real life until I can afford that next legendary. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's well, and and that, that's, that's when the, the real money auction house launched. That, right. that, that, yeah, that I mean, completely screwed up. That's a whole separate can of worms. I mean, I guess what you're getting at is there's two separate... It, the real money auction house was kind of gross feeling, but even without the real money auction house, just having an auction house at all... Change the balance of the game, change the drop rates, change the way that it felt. Right? Absolutely, like in a, in a very dramatic way too. Like I was just reading uh, an article about the way that drop rates had to be altered for uh, to consider the auction house. And so, if you took a a unique item in Diablo two that might have had a drop rate of say one in fifty thousand, yeah, that in order to accommodate for the auction house, the estimated it was like it would have to be one to millions in order for it to make sense within the auction house. So if you because wanted to play without... Because would be flooded with that unique... And exactly, right. And, and the economy would kind of fall apart and the item wouldn't mean anything anymore. So in order to even make this happen, even if you didn't want to play the gold auction house, yeah. even if you didn't want to have it be part of your experience, you just wanted to be a self-found character, yeah. your experience is dramatically impaired. That's the big problem. Right. That's, the, that's right. the part that Blizzard missed with all of this is... I, I choose to believe that their heart was in the right place. I choose to believe that they weren't trying to make it, you know, a money-making thing for them. Um, that was sort of a happy side effect of it. Um, I choose to believe that they were trying to solve that black market and sort of bring it in-house to control it so people wouldn't get ripped off or scammed. Um, but the problem was, even if you didn't want to participate in the auction house, it affected your game because, because you couldn't play the game without the auction house. I, I think At a high they level. At a high level, sure. or, or I mean, just generally, like everybody had access to it, so it affected your game even if you never touched it, right? Because it affected your drop rate. But today, Blizzard announces that they're shutting down the auction house. Which, huzzah! I mean, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Like, there's, there's, uh, there got to be some guys at, at Blizzard, some camp of designers that, that are that are feeling incredibly vindicated right now. Mm. Like, like you, you know, you. Yeah. right? You know, there was some guy there saying, "I told you so" the whole time, and you know, through the launch, like they're saying, "Oh, you know, people like it, people like it," and you know, he's just. Sitting there shaking his head. Now he's just like, yep, well, <laughs> told I mean, you. It's interesting, though, right? Like, it's not an MMO where people are paying a subscription fee. They already have everybody's money. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is, this is an admission that they fucked up in a big way. And it's it an really admission is. that's well, been a long time coming. Yeah. Because like, they've, they've already, in different ways, in smaller ways, made that admission. Like, Jay Wilson, the game's director at the time when the game launched, it's not the same director anymore. But he's gone on record several times since uh, since launch to say, yeah. you know, I don't think this had a, as positive a yeah, impact he, as we thought it would. He called it the wrong solution to yeah, the problem. Absolutely. And yeah, so they, they they have definitely acknowledged that it did not work the way they intended. It it screwed up the experience in ways that they, they did not anticipate. 
and that should they have probably i mean there's all kinds of stuff like they there's a chance that they might patch in offline play now like you could never play diablo 3 offline even though it's a single player game because people might be able to dupe item or items or exploit things and so that auction house created a whole like sort of ripple of side effects that were unintended that I mean, they're looking at me like maybe they're not going to do that. I I really doubt they're going to do that. I mean, it's it's. I disagree. I mean, I don't see. I don't know. I mean, it, I guess there's always BattleNet. Like you'll need to authenticate that way. Right. I suppose. I mean, it's it's DRM. You know, they they're not going to give that up unless they absolutely have to. Right. And honestly, like like you know, I went I went back and played a little bit when you know just to to warm up a little bit for the for the console version that yeah, the events reviewed. Um, and like I didn't have any problems with it. It's, it seems or with with lag. And you know, we are in an urban area. There's there's you know a lot of good internet access here. Um, but like I never had any skipping. Sure, it seems but it's like also, most of that's been ironed out. I mean, it's philosophical though, right? right? Like single player games should probably not require you to be online. Just philosophically, even if you don't have any gameplay problems. Right, but yeah, that it's it's like Blizzard has has kind of proven with with WoW that people are willing to go online and stay online. Um, but that's an MMO. Right, and the, and they they still think of of Diablo as a co op game. Sure, mm. first and foremost. I mean, I think. So, you know, the reason that this is an admission that someone fucked up majorly is because that auction house is very, very, very difficult for them to implement, especially the real money auction house. Like, the mechanisms that they had to put into place and the payment protections, I guarantee you they had to scale up an entire team of people that they didn't even have. They had to hire expertise from outside the company because not only are they taking people's money, but they're paying you money for selling items. And so that entire sort of accounting infrastructure from top to bottom that would have had to be built up got used once, is not in well, use anymore. If they're going to shut it down, it must not have been incredibly profitable for, for them, right? No, I, uh, I have to disagree. I think it was okay. actually... I mean, I don't, I don't have those kinds of metrics in front of me, but if, if you imagine, I mean, that's just free... That's yeah. just free money for but, them. I but mean, every they're time giving someone, up now? Yeah, like, that's, that's what's most shocking to me about it, is that I, I know for a fact... Well, you know what it comes down to, Damon, is that it only works if lots of people are playing the game and lots of people are finding cool items and lots mm-hmm. of people are putting those up on the auction house and lots of other people... Are buying them, but you've seen player numbers for Diablo three like just steadily, like month on month, just right, down, but, but down, down, still, down, down, down. But they're still high. I mean, there's still over a million people playing last last time Blizzard reported. There's still got to be. There's still absolutely got to be income coming in. But right. I think they've realized. I think. I think the main motivation for this is, I think the reviews and the reaction to the console version of Diablo three, which and, doesn't include the auction house, right. which doesn't have the auction houses, right? Exactly, and uh, has offline play. I think the rea- the the, the Overwhelmingly positive reaction to that has shown them that if we're if they're going to sell an expansion, like there's listen, there's we all we all kind of can be, you know, guilty of not following through with what we say when we say, oh, this business practice is repulsive to me, and so I'm not going to buy this game. But then Gamers we buy in general, it anyway. right? Then we buy it anyway. But this is one of those cases yeah, games that if you, still do very well, right? Right, absolutely. But this is one of those cases that if you've been following the message boards at Battle.net since launch. It's a different level. This isn't like where you've got one vocal minority post saying, rah, rah, we shouldn't buy this. It's literally, you know, the whole forum is flooded with people saying, this is just nonsense at this point. And I think seeing the positive critical response to to the console version has made them go, you know what, if we want to sell an expansion, if we want to sell Reaper of Souls, Uh, we need to do something. I think this is, I mean, I agree with you, but I do think this is something that has to have been in the works long before the console reviews came out. On on the other hand, I I don't think it's a coincidence that they announced it so soon after the console launch. I agree. I, th- I think that the console was probably the, the final nail in the, in yeah. the coffin. Well, they probably were planning it. You're right. Something this big they couldn't have just come up with in a week or so. Yeah. They must have been planning it at some point. But I, I'm almost positive that they were saying, well, let's see how the console version pans out and what the reaction is. And then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of show our cards. What I agree with you on 100% is that this is 
clearly a math problem for Blizzard. They said, look, this is how many copies of this expansion we want to sell or need to sell mm -hmm. versus how much money that real money auction house is bringing in. We can keep the real money auction house and keep that money, but we will sell whatever, 25% less expansions. Sure. And the math worked out in their favor. And it's going to be a popular decision anyway. So, yeah, I mean... And, and, and it, in terms of popularity, I mean, again, if you follow... I, I've definitely... Especially in the game's early life on PC, I follow the message boards yep. very, very closely. Super fan um, over here. Yeah, no, I was definitely like for even months before the game came out, I was one of those people who like, every day I was on the message boards looking for the you know next interesting new topic. Um, but it's amazing every time the they did a big, a big community post or the developer a developer diary, you always see like two thousand replies underneath, and they're all like, "I hate Blizzard. Blizzard sucks. God, these guys are dumb." They post this. It's literally the first post since the game launched where the first. 100 replies, I mean, I didn't read all of them, but yeah. the first 100 replies are all, yes, oh my God, amazing, yeah. we love you, thank you. It's the most, like, it's the most unified I've seen the Diablo 3 player, player base since the game launched. Yeah, I mean, Reaper of Souls has been a cavalcade of good news from top to That's bottom. That's the expansion. Yep. Yes. yes. And when is that, when is that out? Um, Sometime soon. next year. It's next year, yeah, I mean, that'll be like two years after its launch. Yeah, give or take, yeah. I was just surprising they announced they're shutting it down, but not for six months from now. Not I mean, until I feel March, like that's was it March 18th of next year. I feel year. like it's got to be payment stuff. Like, if you made a lot of money on that auction house, like I said, I can't emphasize how much work it was for them to set this up. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to get tax documents from Blizzard in order to, you know, sell items on this real yeah. money auction house. That's all being spun down and shut down now. Like, yeah. it's, like, I don't know that we've seen a reversal like this in a long, long time. And it wasn't a small amount of money people were making off of it either. No. Like, they're, they're, I've, Seen people on Twitter saying they made thousands of dollars. Yep. Really? Sure, absolutely. And that's what that's what the whole thing felt kind of gross. Like that's what the we did a game scoop on this, and I wrote an article on why core gamers don't like free to play. And even though Diablo wasn't free to play, the principle is the same: that it's making you think about money when you're playing a video right, game. Right. Because now every time you get a nice legendary drop, if you if you decide to equip that to your character or just throw it in your stash, like there's a, an opportunity cost there. That's that's ten, twenty. $250 you could have made on that right. item that you're not making. Now, who wants to sit, even if you're not planning on using the auction house, yeah. that means every time one of those really super good legendaries drops, it's like, hmm, either you I... have to either, hit the auction house and Right, check. exactly. You it's have like, to check. It's, it's like either I level up a new character just to use this new item, or For I sure. can just throw it on the auction house and make money. That's and, exactly right. And all, like, of a sudden you're, all of a sudden you're saying, hmm, now this is a car payment I could be making, but instead of a car payment, I'm choosing to have fun with this item, and that feels icky. It's like this is like I really liked Diablo three, but it's like if I got a hundred dollar legendary, I am not keeping that legendary. I am immediately selling right. it. Like, come on. It's fascinating and sounds like ultimately positive news. Fantastic. Right? Oh yeah, it's fantastic news. What I think is is going to be interesting to see is how the timing of it works out with uh, loot two point right. um, What is we, that, by the way? Okay, so we don't have exact specifics on Loot 2.0 because it's still something that they're working on. We do know that a good framework to look at to know what it's going to be like is the console version, which they're kind of affectionately calling Loot 1.5. It, it involves a lot of the changes that they're looking to implement in Loot 2.0, but basically... It's, it's going to be more drops. It's going to be... More you know, drops? Well, okay, yes so, no. yeah, well, okay, more, so it's going to yeah. be less uh, actual... Like junk less, drops. In, less junk drops, more mm. meaningful drops. But then yeah. the legendaries, they're going to retool again. They're coming up with a whole new set of affixes to make the legendaries more interesting. Uh, and then the biggest, I think the two biggest changes are, are, the, are the smart drops, which means that legendaries will drop. And I think it's pretty much going to be guaranteed that the primary stat is going to match the character you're, yeah. you're playing as. And 
Um, one of the big problems right now is that legendary items only drop in the difficulty level that's appropriate for, uh, they're, they're tied to a difficulty level. So there's legendaries that are gonna drop in, say, Nightmare, but they're not gonna drop in, in uh, Inferno. And the problem there is that if it has a really interesting effect, you know, you might say, oh, this is cool, this changes, exactly, it becomes useless. This is a neat item, I like using it, but once I get into Inferno, it's useless. Now, all legendaries will drop at all levels. So there can be like a level 20 version of this really cool, of like Messerschmitt's Reaver, but then I can also get a, an item level 63 version of it, yeah. theoretically, I mean, when more, I hit like, it, It's what we were talking about earlier, where you might go forever, hours, and not right. get something usable on your character mm -hmm. because they were trying to balance for the auction house, and right. now they can unravel all that. And sort of say, look, people need to get meaningful upgrades for their character by playing the game, not by spending money on the auction house. Sure, and I think that since removing the auction houses yeah. is definitely part of the proposition, the value proposition to make people say, okay, I'll come back to this game and play Reaper of Souls. I have to imagine that timing-wise, yeah. Reaper of Souls is going to come sometime after. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, sometime after this change, for sure. But. That also means that Loot 2.0, which they haven't nailed down a, a definite time for, and some people are afraid was going to be part of like what you had to pay for with Reaper of no. Souls, no, that's not going to happen. There's no, no way it's going to happen now. I think that there, that Loot 2.0 is going to is going to be hot on the heels of the of the removal. Yeah, I mean the, that does uh, that almost it has, it has to be. Yeah. In terms of like predicting timing, I think that almost certainly means we're not going to see any of this before that auction house is stripped out. Absolutely. Right? So it's like this is all going to come after what you say March 18th. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, there, there's there, those two things are incompatible. They yeah. can't they cannot right. coexist. So my guess is we'll see that auction house spun, you know, removed. We'll see loot loot 2.0 come in a free update, and then we'll see the expansion after that. Yeah. Most and, they, and they've they've said that that the okay, that the, okay. that the uh, loot 2.0 update will be a free free patch. It won't be it won't be part of Reaper of Souls. Right, nice. gentlemen. Thank you for your time. Viewers, stay tuned for more from IGN Game Scoop. This podcast is brought to you by Audible, a provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 titles to choose from. For listeners of GameScoop, Audible is offering a free audiobook download when you sign up for a free 30-day trial. If you're not already quoting from it every day, may we suggest checking out Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. It's like The Matrix mixed with video games, Star Wars, and transforming Japanese robots. And we love it. To get started, head to audiblepodcast.com gamescoop and follow the instructions to get your free audiobook. On with the show. Welcome back to Gamescoop, everybody. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. I'm joined now by some very special guests, Per Schneider, Fran Mirabella, Sam Claiborne. Hey, everybody. And we're talking about some sad news, passing of Hiroshi Yamauchi, longtime president of Nintendo, but we're here to celebrate the life of a very uh, important figure in the history of video games. I dare say we would not be here right now we're not for this man. Not what he did. True. Yeah. I think he was important mainly in the business side of things, right? Although he did, you know, approve every single Nintendo game we ever played. But business-wise, like him and Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari, were probably the two most important innovators in how to make video games, you know, something that you can make money off of. Uh, Yamauchi did the home games. Uh, uh, Nolan Bushnell 
did pioneered home games a little bit before him mm -hmm. with Atari and then you know the arcade machines. But but man. I think Yamauchi had a real knack for picking the right talent to actually create mm -hmm. the you know the creative product of the company. Right, he was the guy who discovered Gunpei Yokoi and mm -hmm. you know the hard famous hardware designer that gave us you game know Boy. some of these amazing machines here. But also Miyamoto, right? He took you a chance. Something in Miyamoto. Yeah, he took a chance on somebody young and unproven and basically gave him his his first game. Right. Yeah, and they weren't we game designers. They yeah. were they were other they were employed in other parts of mm -hmm. Nintendo. Miyamoto yeah, yeah. could draw very well, but was really imaginative, and you know, out came Donkey Kong at the mm -hmm. other end. And I think you can credit uh, Yamauchi with a lot of those decisions and a lot of kind of the, just the guts to take a chance on people. Yeah, I mean, that's we were talking about it yesterday, and we thought, first of all, there's probably a lot of people who don't realize like this was the guy that had Nintendo, a whole new generation of people. But he's such a great leader, and is well documented saying he didn't really play many games, you know, and that people give him a lot of crap for any. A reputation for being very stoic. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, at, at running a company that makes you know amusement yeah. products. But he was a great leader, and that was yeah. the point. He picked a great talent. Any great leader knows kind of how to drive the business, and he really did. And he he really saved. You know, you could say he saved the video game industry. Exactly. Atari crashed. Yep. Uh, in the eighties, and he came in. You know, with the NES product, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yep. That turned everything around. Like you mm -hmm. said, we wouldn't be here today. And, and the reason was that he uh, instituted a series of things to combat what went wrong at Atari. So uh, there was a, a flood of terrible games, right? Mm -hmm. So he created an, an excruciating process for approving Nintendo games. You could only make a certain amount a year if you're a third-party company. He had to approve every single one. Um, there was just you know, these rules to make it so there wasn't fluff. There wasn't fluff on that system. Sounds like Steve Jobs a little yeah, bit, right? Yeah, and if you, if you, you know, hear from journalists who covered the business in Japan from the era, he was almost like the emperor, right? You went in as a third party to ask for approval or to become a third party uh, publisher for Nintendo. And it, it was, you know, he was just this highly respected guy who had to put his stamp of approval on everything. So it's kind of ironic, <laughs> right? He's not the guy who would play the games and actually say whether they're good. He would look at the games, he would look at the <laughs> concept, and he would look at the final product too, and he would can some stuff outright mm -hmm. and say, this is not the right direction from us. And people would be like, but, but, but maybe they wouldn't say anything, right? Because they'd be yeah. a little bit, a little bit scared too. But you know, they would just give up and do something else. And... From my perspective, that sounds like a terrible boss. You know? But <laughs> but a shrewd businessman, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think people probably in his presence were a little bit intimidated. In fact, I think you met him once, right? I met him twice. Yeah, twice. It was interesting. It's crazy to me. It is crazy. Well, you know, I was uh, I, I covered N64, of course, back in the days, you know, like, what, 16 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was an event called Space World that Nintendo ran in Tokyo, in Makuhari, actually, outside mm -hmm. where Tokyo Game Show is. And uh, it was all Nintendo. And, you know, the first time I saw him, I was on the show floor and they're playing, uh, you know, they're showing off all these games, including the original Animal Crossing on N64 that never came out in the Animal West, Forest. right? Yeah, Animal Forest. Um, and you could just, it was filled with people and you could see people just parting. You know, there was like all this commotion going on and then some very tall people in black suits and then suddenly like outsteps, you know, Hiroshi Yamauchi with his entourage, Minagawa the translator who's been with Nintendo for a long time. And you know, you just get this kind of respect. Everybody took a step back, right? Nobody rushed forward to go like, hey, will you take my picture? Or, you know, nobody did that. Everybody just kind of parted and he walked through and, you know, it was, it was pretty intimidating just well, to see him. Okay, so yeah, I had the same experience yeah. at Space World in 2000 when uh -huh. I started covering it. You saw him also? Time at GameCube. So I had yes. the same experience and I described it with similar words that you had before. He was kind of like the emperor, the, the amount of respect mm -hmm. he got. To me, it was almost ethereal. He was coming down the steps. This was, so, this was the first and last time that I saw Yamauchi came down the steps and you saw this commotion. This small guy, actually, he's not, he was very thin and pretty tiny, then surrounded by this entourage. Yeah. 
and as he came down the steps, they bowed to their toes. Yeah, they and bowed so really low. If you know a thing or two about bowing, the, the how deep you go is a sign of respect. And they were going down to their toes, and as he steps down, you know, it was just uh, it was amazing to see like this is the guy. Yeah, and that was sort of the first and last time I saw him. But you you could tell how much influence he had. Based on that. I got to bow to him afterwards too, but I, you know, I honestly didn't exchange a <coughs> sentence with him other than you know, yeah. Roshku, like you yeah, know, being honored to meet him. But it was backstage um, on a, on the way to an interview with the creator of Doshin the Giant. Remember that mm -hmm. one, right? Yeah. It was still Unreleased. a 64DD game at the time, and you know, walking through, and then you walk into this room, and there's a table, and they're all sitting there, and it's like ah, you know. And he's just sitting there looking at us. And you know, one thing you need to know about the press back in those days, they didn't take it seriously, right? Like for Nintendo, the internet was just kind of a weird thing. There are these young guys who are covering us. You know, they knew we were kind of important, but not really. Yeah. And so you know, just walk forward and bow to him, and like he, he just like the, the temperature is lower in the room when he's in it, right? Like he, you are scared of this guy when mm -hmm. you when you see him, yeah. and so to think that that's how he ruled Nintendo, you can tell people were always antsy around him. Think sure how different that, that is than Satoru Iwata, the current president yeah, he's of Nintendo, such a friendly guy, right? who gets on stage and like holds a banana and drives yeah. in a Mario Kart and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. it, it couldn't be more different. No, he, he's, he's a spokesperson for the company, mm -hmm. and Yamauchi was never that. Which, you know? which is ironic because he took a business that was, you know, uh, playing cards, later taxis and love hotels, and turned it into a toy company. And when you think of toy makers, you think of fun, right? And uh, well, he wasn't the maker of the toys; he was leading the company. But he is the ex exact opposite of that. Yeah, he's so, the perfect yeah. ironic toy company owner. Yeah, I love the arc. I mean, so Nintendo has been known for as a video game company for thirty some years now. But the company goes way back to the late 1800s, right? Like mm -hmm. they're, yeah. it's a really, really old a company. Of cards. Mostly making playing cards, and then when he he was sort of like forced into taking over. Uh, he, yeah, the company. because his grandfather's health was failing. Like yeah. he never wanted to become the leader of the company, but he took over at 22 so, years old. Yeah, he was really young, a reluctant young leader. And then you know, the, one of the first things he did was kind of focus on, hey, what can we do with the business? How can we turn he it around? He experimented, diversified. Yeah. Taking, yeah, I mean, he launched a taxi cab line, but he also signed a, a deal with Disney to create yeah. Disney Hanafuda playing cards. Mm -hmm. Hanafuda playing cards, really traditional Japanese stuff, and he brings this American stuff into it, right? It, it, was, it was a, a third-party deal that yeah. was so popular in Japan. I mean, it, it was it the blew best up, selling, right? It was yeah, huge, yeah. huge selling cards. Disney, set. of course, hugely influential, sets. hugely influential in Japan, right? Um, it influenced a lot of the the drawing styles and the anime uh, genre mm -hmm. in total. And so he spotted that and jumped on it and turned the playing cards into that. So that was really clever. In the '60s and '70s, electronics become cheaper to manufacture. They start creating electronic toys. Uh, he hired Gunpei Yokoi in the 60s, so yeah. when that happened, uh, they started making toys like the Ultra Hand and the, uh, the Ultra Machine, which mm -hmm. are these kind of just plastic toys you put in your house. There's a love tester, which is pretty yes. cool. Yeah, that's right. Um, and Gunpei Yokoi designed those. Now, he's a game you might recognize, too, because he created Metroid, mm -hmm. and he created, he worked on Kid Icarus, and he created the Game Boy, and eventually the Virtual Boy, which actually, uh, he, was, he was kind of forced out of the company by Yamauchi for. Yeah. After, yeah, Virtual Boy was not a major success, and... Uh, mm -hmm. He, he left. Yeah, he, you know, got, he got a window seat, which is a, it's a Japanese business practice. When you have somebody in the company who is you know, established and well-regarded, you don't want to fire that person because yep. it reflects poorly on you, but you give them something to do that is not that awesome. It's basically mm -hmm. a window seat. They're, they've got something to do, but they don't really have any influence. So yeah. you, know, you can tell he was a tough guy. Like and, when and to something didn't credit, work. he found this guy who pretty much designed Prolific. a huge yeah. mm -hmm. amount of Nintendo's yeah. toys and eventually games, games yeah. and products like for 
four decades. It's yeah. just amazing. But the way I love the consistency, though, like think about the the Ultra Hand and the Ultra Pitcher, and then the Ultra sixty four, which became, mm-hmm. of course, the Nintendo sixty four. There's 64. consistency like, over that line, the, yeah. you know, of yeah. thinking is just really, really cool. We were looking at some of the old Nintendo toys, and there's ones that look like the Famicom. There's yeah. an Ultra From, like, Scope, the 60s, which right? is like a Periscope right. toy that it's it's gray and red, and it just looks like the Super. Or it looks like the Famicom. Yeah. It's, it's just really funny, and that's Yokoi's kind of design vision, but. Mm-hmm. You know, Lasted forever. The Magnavox Odyssey was that the first home console that was sold here in the U.S. Yeah, it was. And there's the Odyssey too that was yeah, a little yeah. bit more. But then uh, he licensed the Odyssey to sell in Japan. That's right. Yeah. He licensed Pong, Pong machines to sell in Japan, and mm-hmm. then he said, well, Pong we, Pong. Should, "We should make our own." Yeah, game. And uh, they even made a color a color TV six game, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially Pong in color in Japan. That was Nintendo's first Nintendo or you know video game system. But then they went. You know, their first success was not. Any of those things. It was, of course, Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was bringing the huge hit game to America uh, in the form of you know a refrigerator-sized machine, not a home machine. Yeah, yeah, that was the first big thing they did that started to change everything, and that's what brought them into video games. I think one couple things I really like about Yamauchi as well: the money facts. Um, Mm. Never wanted to borrow money, so to this day, I believe Nintendo has borrowed has not borrowed a dime. It's not traditional. Companies normally like borrow some money, you expand your business. He didn't want to do it. He's afraid of debt. Yeah, so afraid of play. debt, exactly. Never wanted to be in debt and borrow money, that is, to, to get out of debt. And then, um, you know, he was one of the richest men in Japan. He was at the height of the Wii, I believe. Yeah. Uh, at the height of the Wii sales, he was valued at $7.8 billion, I think it was, and he was the richest man in Japan. He could have bought even more baseball teams yeah. than the Mariners. Yeah, he bought the Mariners. Yeah, he bought so. the Mariners. Well, so when they opened up Nintendo of America, he put his son-in-law in charge. Uh-huh. Uh, Arakawa. Arakawa. Yep. Uh-huh. He, he was in charge of Nintendo of America until Reggie took over, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and married to family his company, daughter, actually, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, because it's his son-in-law. Right, exactly. But I mean, Yamauchi's yeah, yeah. daughter was Arakawa's uh, wife. Yeah. And it was, you know, Nintendo was a family business, so you know, mm-hmm. taking kind of continuing on that way made sense. But of course, with Iwata, you know, a lot, a lot changed with that company. I just love that. Also, you know, Yamauchi started by looking at the West, kind of what's going on in the West, and then right. trying to adapt it in Japan. But then, you know, later on, he, I mean, that guy had had entrepreneurial courage to fl- that to just kind of do things completely differently right and we when we first started covering games at IGN um, we used to look at these statements from Yamauchi in the press all the time, right? Incendiary things that he would say. Like, I remember when Microsoft announced the Xbox, he's like, oh, it's this company that has a lot of money and they think they can go into the video game business. That's never going to work, right? Like, he's done, he said these things out publicly in the Japanese press, um, but he also said some stuff about, you know, whether the pursuit of power in video game consoles makes that much sense. Yeah, and, he was disparaging a power, yeah. like high-powered systems, and, and that was contradicted a little bit when they put out the GameCube. Um, you know, he was saying that at the time, but then, of course, the Wii was the, re- the embodiment of that. But already in 2004, he basically said, I don't believe that we should launch new consoles. We should mm-hmm. extend the life of the consoles, which is what everybody did in the generation afterwards, right? Like yeah. with Kinect and everything. He invented, oh, not Yamochi, but Nintendo invented the mm-hmm. Wii remote controls for the GameCube as a system mm-hmm. to extend the life of the machine. And I think Nintendo got cold feet. Instead mm-hmm. of writing it through with the GameCube, they released it as a new platform and you know, whatever you want to say about the Wii right now, that was a huge hit, right? It got people to play an even bigger hit, of course, was the DS and his one of his final decisions. So he was kind of moved from... Like chairman of the board? Yeah, yeah president mm-hmm. to chairman. Yeah. And, and at that point, he just made a recommendation. Why don't we try a, a handheld system with two screens? And then put really all Nintendo's eggs in one basket with it. And there's some famous quotes about him saying, you know, Nintendo would, would end up very poorly 
if yeah. the DS failed, and the DS did not fail. I think he said it, we're either on the way to heaven, right, like a play on the name Nintendo, which mm -hmm. is the heavenly way, or we will go to hell. Yeah. Like he was very dramatic in yeah. everything that he did. Right? Yeah, he also like, pretty much, in another quote, had said it would crush them or destroy them mm -hmm. if it wasn't successful. Yeah. Lucky for them, it was extremely successful. Yeah. Uh, it was a very good decision. I would have liked to hear his thoughts on the Wii U. Yeah, it would have been amazing to hear what he But again, he, he wasn't a man that you just go interview. No. Yeah, he was very um, hidden away, actually, which sure. um, maybe somewhat ironically, Yamauchi means within the mountain. So it was mm -hmm. almost that hard to get access to him. So, yeah. yeah. He had an incredible life, and his uh, importance and relevance in the industry really cannot be overstated. Yeah, I don't think so. Still going to continue on. I think yeah. the company, Nintendo today, is still him. You can see it. Sure. You know, I'll be very curious to see from Iwata and the future leaders when it is not as much of Yamauchi, but I don't even know if that's possible. He's mm. ha half a century of influence. I hope somebody else will step up who has the guts to kind of speak speak his mind, right, mm. out in the public and doesn't just admit failure or, you know, say, hey, we need to do better there, but actually says specifically what they think is wrong in the market or what they want to change. And I think he had that. Yeah. And I hope Nintendo will, you know, will find someone who will do that in the future too. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time to talk a little bit about the life of Hiroshi Yamauchi. Stay tuned for more from IGN GameCube. Welcome back to GameScoop, everybody. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. I'm joined now by Ryan McCaffrey, John Ryan, making his GameScoop debut. I believe so, yeah. And Justin Davis. Scoop. And now that GTA V has been out for a week... That game's out? Yeah. I, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I didn't think they were selling any of them. <laughs> it's time to start talking about GTA Online. It which is. comes out a week from today. Oh, so Ryan, you've so actually had the pleasure of playing some GTA Online. A little bit. A little yeah. bit. It is... Um, yeah, it's... I'm, I can't wait to see what the possibilities are. So one of the best moments in the time I played was uh, there was you, you can just set a random race checkpoint. Mm -hmm. You know you can you can create your own races anywhere in the game. Set a waypoint anywhere you want, and then you drive up to a starting line with however many people you want, and just and then go race there. And so it's doing that with one other person. You're driving, 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 and all of a sudden, two other people because it's a 16 player game. Two other people are having like a five-star wanted level shootout with the right. cops in the middle of the road. So you just have to like, and just navigate your way through. So that stuff's just going on while you're, you and another friend are busy. Do you set a start and an endpoint for your race? Yes. Okay. Is it the same as like setting a waypoint on a map? Exactly. Like, and then it just you just go into the map you. and boop. And then do you have to do like a series of checkpoints, or can you just be like, here's the beginning, here's no, the end? No, it's just there are no checkpoints. It's That's just awesome. like beginning and get there. That's so phenomenal. the five star wanted level, and I'm you know maybe this is stuff that you wrote about. Sorry if I missed this, but like it's 16 people in a game. But how does it like pull you together? Pull you into a room? Like? Well, there are missions uh, as well. If you you know you can sandbox it just like you can sure. with GTA 4 or multiplayer now. But there are also missions that are from anywhere from two to sixteen players. But I mean, like, so do you get sixteen people in a lobby and then say, okay, we're gonna go play GTA online, and we'll like grab other random people? I, like, you know, I didn't get to see the front the end of it, and so stuff. I don't. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if there's a lobby or if it's just like you just start a game and then yeah, yeah. It I'm, I'm sure it's probably gonna be like GTA Four, where they had that like yeah. free roam option, and it was just everybody just running around doing whatever. Yeah. Justin, you put up an article on, or a video on IGN today <laughs> that's performing very well. Were you and Greg? <laughs> Just walked across the entire yeah. map. We walked across the earth. We walked across San Andreas. Or San, yeah. It's San Andreas, right? This yeah, I was yeah. shocked to hear how long the video was. So, yeah, it's like 75 minutes. It took you Good 75 God, minutes man. to do. 
Um, to be fair, half of that is tumbling back down the mountain. <laughs> and getting eaten by bobcats. And, getting yeah. and letting women get hit by trains. Just the one bobcat. So I'm, what I wonder is with GTA Online, is all of that open right from the get-go? And is it the same oh, yeah. map? Whole world. It's the same map. Okay. Same world. Okay. That's my big question about this. Is there's and to be fair, I haven't done everything in GTA 5, so maybe you know it's about to happen. But there's big, like major areas of that map that you never visit one time. Mm. And I think that's kind of strange. Like I know they're known for this insane level of detail. There's whole regions that you that no mission ever like pushes you towards. I don't think you ever do very much in the jail. I don't think you do Not too much around of. some other areas. So I hope that online, you know, maybe DLC, but hopefully online. It does have its yeah. own story. So that's all that all Is takes it place. Like, like a campaign that you worked through? Well, or? sort of. You you meet Lamar and yeah. you get, it's like a prequel, right? It's yeah, before it takes the place events. before the game, correct. Yeah. And there is, you know, proper, again, you've seen it, I haven't, but my understanding is that there's, like, actual, yeah, like, story, like, cutscenes that you go through, and, like, it gives you motivation to go through these missions cooperatively yeah. as a group. Right. Now, you said that there would be ones that could take up to 16 people. Do you know if those are going to be, you know, requiring upwards of, like, 12? Like, am I going to have to go and find Probably, yeah. I, the people? ones I saw were, uh, I think, eight-player missions were the max wow. ones I saw, so, and that was a... That was the one you actually see in the GTA Online trailer, the one video they've put out where it's, you see that giant plane yeah. called the Titan? Yeah. And I actually did that yeah, mission, steal, steal the Titan. It's called, uh, yeah, it's called Titan Steel. And you drive up, you go up to the airport, uh, have a big shootout with, with a bunch of guys. You have to move a semi-truck out of the way that's blocking the hangar all the while. There's just bullets flying. And then, yeah, one of you hops in the plane, starts to take it out. Everybody else needs to pile in and then... You'd fly it halfway across the map and have to land it successfully, which is the hard part because it's a <laughs> giant plane. Uh, do you own the plane after that? I don't know. That's where my that was the last thing I got to do, and then they That'd cut me off. So, so you do like we don't have details on how it works, but we do know that it has like a persistent like you earn money online that you can then spend on you know presumably nicer cars, clothes, you know apartments, homes, apartments, yeah. that yeah. sort of thing, and that's. Separate from like your single player profile, that's like how you progress through. Well, yeah. Online. So speaking of money, we also have an article today talking about it, it looks like there's going to be microtransactions where you can actually buy in-game money. <gasps> I'm shocked. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised, but <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of disappointed. I mean, that, that bothers you? It does. Yeah. I mean, microtransactions. I understand it. It's you know, this is still as much as it's supposed to be like you know, go and have fun and be wacky with your friends. It's still very much a business. Mm. But you know, I don't know. I just I, I will not be partaking in microtransactions. Well, at least you don't have to. Exactly, and that's the thing. It's not mandatory. But people have noticed that it seems kind of difficult to earn money in the game, like more difficult than it has been in the past. Right. So it would be a shame if Rockstar made it more difficult to try and encourage people to pay for in-game. Well, money. at the same time, though, I mean, with GTA V, we're also talking about greater sums of money. I mean, at least in the single-player experience than we've ever seen that's before. True. Like you know, with GTA IV, the most amount you'd have in a bank account at any given time was like maybe a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You had. I had thirty million dollars on yeah. our live stream. I just went on the stock market today and earned another seventeen million on top of that. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. I mean we great. the big thing with microtransactions is we just don't know enough about how GTA online works. Correct. Like yeah. uh, you know, free to play game or freemium business models. This is a sixty dollar game, but it's like a free mode, right? And then yeah. they're trying to make a little bit of extra money for it by letting people buy it. We just don't know, like, do you earn the money really quickly? Do you earn it slowly? If people plunk $20 down on however many millions of, you know, fake dollars, will that give them an advantage in the game? Or is it just going to let them, you know, have some hat that other characters don't yeah, have? Yeah, like, buy more clothes. Like, like, a $60 game is a $60 game, and that's really easy to compare them. But the problem with free-to-play stuff or microtransactions is um, until you sort of really dive deep into it, you know, in the IGN yeah. wiki or whoever dives deep into how it works. We just don't know how, whether it's going to feel yeah. good or bad. You know what's interesting, too, is GTA V itself is proof positive that Rockstar sort of takes elements and tests things in, mm -hmm. other, in yeah. other Rockstar games and then incorporates them in. 
is this this conversation is making me think, hmm, I wonder if this is all really just a test bed for a full-on MMO GTA like next generation. Or that, maybe that I mean, could happen. Think about a free GTA and then they just sell people money instead. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Money or missions or whatever, you know. Yeah. Costumes. I mean I think I would G- buy hats. Yeah. You I would mentioned not buy hats. we would all buy hats. hats we all be like, of course we buy hats. <laughs> it's all just hats. Wait, could it be a hat for my car? If it was a beanie, yeah. there yes. would be color on it. Yeah, I'd totally buy it. <laughs> um, McCaffrey, you mentioned that cooperative mission you did with the giant, the Titan plane. Yes. And like that's something that it's super easy to like gloss over. Like, yeah, you can race your friends to compete, or you can like cooperate on missions. But it's actually a big deal. Like, there's not that many multiplayer games that. You know, even stuff like Uncharted or GTA 4, like there was sort of some co-op, but like well, really deep, meaningful, cooperative multiplayer yeah. just doesn't happen well, that and, much. And it's, it goes, again, it goes to the sandbox. It's the other super cool mission. I saw a lot of little things and then the, the race mission, but then the other really yeah. cool thing besides the Titan plane mission I saw was just a simple convenience store robbery, which you can do mm-hmm. in the single player game. But in GTA Online, you pick up your buddy, roll down to the convenience store, walk in, guns out, Point your gun at the clerk uh, and yell at him over your Xbox or PlayStation microphone to make the the transfer go faster. I thought that was one of the coolest things yeah. when I first heard that. Was yeah. You like that? Are you gonna do that? Of course I'm, I'm gonna do that. I'm not gonna. Well, do no. I'm well, not come on, yelling. why not? I'm not gonna be just yelling at my. Yeah, team. Right, maybe you guys just clearly don't appreciate yelling as much yeah, as I do. Yeah. And then hold on, but then after you leave and you're away with the getaway money, the you know one of you has the money. Yeah. And can decide yeah. to what cut to give the other person. So that's where is it cooperative or does it become competitive? Because say the other guy's like, I'm just gonna keep it all. But then the other say two could the, kill him. Yeah, yeah, then you say that's the passenger yeah. is the you know, is the guy with the money. The driver just stops the car, gets out, and just caps the other guy and then takes all the money off of his body. I mean, I think that, GTA Online, happen. it's really, yeah. really exciting to me for reasons like that. Like, I don't play... Uh, when the Xbox 360 generation started, but this when this generation started, I played a lot of Call of Duty. I played a lot of Gears of War 2 online. I played a lot of Halo online. I think I have thousands of matches of Halo 3 online. And as the generation progressed, I just did less and less and less multiplayer. Yeah. I just got busy. Mm-hmm. I got older. I didn't like having kids shout at me and call me names. Yeah. And I feel like you asshole, Justin. (laughs) Yeah, that's like the tamest thing it'll be. Um, And I just don't, I don't play online at all anymore. And I feel like GTA Online might strike that perfect balance of just being pretty open ended to sort of pull me back. Well, and the solution, of course, is we just start an IGN crew and just play amongst ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, no, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. Okay, fine, I will. (laughs) I mean, you brought this up in in the live stream uh, last week, where. You know, because I mean, I have friends across the country and down in Los Angeles who, yep. you know, I never get to see or talk to because we're just on very different schedules. And it's yep. like, you know, one of those situations where we hop into GTA Online, it's like, screw it, we're going to play around a golf and catch up and, and shoot the crap. And it's like the ability to do that, like, of course I could just call them on the phone like a real human being. But no one does no that one anymore. Does that. Exactly, no one does that. I haven't gotten a phone call from anybody except the bank, I think, in like three weeks. Hey, it's Comcast. You want TV? No! <laughs> Please talk to me for like five seconds. I'm so lonely. <laughs> But no, and now it's like, you know, I can be talking with friends and also playing golf. Yes. I agree. Here's how I hope it works. I hope it's like just very sort of free form. Hey guys, let's do a race. And then we do that race and the winner earns a little bit of dough. Hey, do you guys want it? There's eight of us. Do you want to hop into a death match against eight other people? And that shows you, you know, the jail or some area of the map you haven't seen. And you pop back out, maybe play some sports. And then it's just like very sort of free flowing. Yeah. It is. And then, you know, I hope that you gradually earn, like, just dough along the way and you don't feel like you need to spend a bunch of extra money to, to yeah. accelerate mm-hmm. your progress. Um, there's lots of sort of pitfalls or problems that could happen along the way to get in the way of, like, what my vision of it is. Yeah. But, I mean, well, it seems And what's promising. cool is, as you play the sort of uh, 
story missions that are in GTA Online, you'll earn reputation. Right. And so as you progress down that and get to know like Lamar better, you'll eventually earn contacts that'll that allow you to do things like call in airstrikes. That's great. So that will happen. We do. Yes. Uh, before we started recording, we were talking about the issues with Social Club, though. Like that could be sort of a big potential. Oh, it's if this had launched on September seventeenth, yeah, the entire it would have just. I think both consoles' online services would have vaporized yeah. <laughs> instantaneously. Yeah. yeah, they would have just gone up in a cloud of yeah. a cloud of smoke. We seem to agree it was smart for them to hold it back for for multiple reasons. Yeah, right. yeah. It's smart. It's interesting that I'm loving GTA V, but Rockstar kind of gets a pass for stuff. Can you imagine any other online game just waiting, just not launching their online service? Yeah, like uh, the yeah. No, there came we, out we've, with a multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that in the office. There are very few games that not only could get away with that, but would even try yeah. because mm -hmm. yeah. it's just like you would. You're if you're not there on day one. In most cases, you're neither is your user base. Yeah. It's a little bit of a special case since there is, you know, a 50, 60, 70 incredibly polished single-player yeah. package. I mean, it's even, not like Call of Duty or something like that. Yeah, where right. people beat it in seven hours. Right, and that's actually right. the exact example I was going to use. Could, you know, a lot of people do almost consider Call of Duty's single-player and multiplayer to be two different games, but yeah. could you imagine if the multiplayer didn't come out yeah. for another week? Mm. Two weeks. Yeah. I don't know that it's completely unprecedented. Like, I'm hesitant to say, like, oh, this has never happened before, because then some GameScoop commenter will remind me that, yeah, you know, someone totally has, didn't... and you're wrong and stupid. Well, no, it just hasn't happened to this degree. It is very, yeah, very no. uncommon for a huge, it sounds like this is a huge chunk of the game that, A, they haven't really talked that much about. They showed it to you and some press members yeah. a little bit. But, B, yeah, it's just two weeks later, it launches. You think it's because, again, before we started recording, you were saying it just, you, your speculation is that it just wasn't quite ready, and they needed Yeah, these guys, I mean, Rockstar North is a, a group of perfectionists, yeah. obviously, you play the game and that becomes clear, plus the fact that it took five years to make this game. I just think that because it's such a big undertaking, uh, they, they needed all the extra time they could get, and the, the fact is, if this had shipped out of the box, they really would have had to have finished it about six to eight weeks before now. Sure. Like I think you know, delaying this and putting it out as sort of a download update thing next week gave them roughly two extra months to work on it. So, you, I mean, you mentioned some, of the, some other things in your theories, and I think those are sort of happy coincidences, sure. but I, I mean, we don't know until we, unless, until they were to actually say so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's probably a development issue. I mean, I think my social club experience has been fine. Like, I've seen on the message boards that people have had trouble trading stocks, they've yeah. had trouble logging to the website. Me, personally, I've not experienced any of that. It's been smooth and, you know, smooth, cool yeah. runnings the entire time. <laughs> cool <laughs> runnings. Oh, yeah. the, only, um, the only problems I've had were trying to log on to the, uh, the social club aspect of the stock yeah. market. Um, getting onto the website itself was totally fine. I would get notifications and all that stuff. That yeah. was great. But trying to trade stocks on the boss Act or yeah. whatever it's called was... Boss Act. Boss Act. <laughs> Yeah, I the know. boss sack. Yeah. Um, uh, anyways, that didn't work. For like it's, a week. It seems like you know, even if online uses you know the Xbox Live infrastructure, right. the PSN infrastructure, all its hooks into Social Club and the way that you can see your profile and the amount of data that would be sending back and yeah. forth would have just melted oh, everything down. <laughs> yeah. It would have been like uh, Skynet yeah. becoming just declaring war on humanity. Only instead of nuclear missiles, it's broken Xboxes. Yeah. So all the children, no! yeah, all the children of the world are just destroyed. That's all, that's much worse. Yeah. They're just taking our joy. GTA Online uh, is out a week from today, October 1st. Yep. I'm excited for it. Very I'm much about, so. I think I'm about midway through the campaign, so i got to try and finish yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, I'm working on a way to hopefully show it to okay. our IGN audience before, before okay. the first, but mm. nope, I can't make any promises. Okay. There's, there are actors and discussions going on. Wheels are in motion. That's right. Things yeah. are happening. Top hopefully. men. Hopefully. <laughs>
Oh, Hopefully that will man. work out. So stay tuned for more from IGN GameScoop. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to GameScoop. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. I'm joined now by Dan Stapleton, oh. Justin Davis, Scoop. Steve Butts. Howdy. And now we have all three announcements under our belt. The announcements that came from Valve this week. Monday, they announced a new iOS, Steam iOS. Steam OS. OS. Steam yeah. OS. You're Sorry, not an iOS. iOS is a different thing. Right. There's no I in Steam iOS. Uh, <laughs> they announced their hardware beta. They mm -hmm. are making their Steambox hardware. And then today we saw the controller, the Steam controller, right? It's a lot to process. Yeah. I was initially excited about all this news. Uh, there's a lot of PC games that I j haven't played just because I don't really enjoy the lean forward, you know, sitting at a desk PC gaming. I like lean back gaming mm -hmm. on, on my couch. Uh, so yeah, I, I want a, a Steam box that I can hook up to my TV and play all these PC games. Justin did not respond as favorably <laughs> to it. He is, you, were, you were telling me at lunch you don't know who this is for. Yeah, so so there's two parts of this. There is Justin Davis, the gamer. There's Justin Davis, the person that likes new technology. And he's excited to see what this is and what games it can play. But then if I'm an analyst and trying to look at it from a business perspective, I don't understand who Steam machines appeal to. Like, if you're a really hardcore gamer and you want one of these machines, if you're interested in this, you're reading the news, you're up on the news, you already have a gaming PC, probably. Damon, I think you're the exception. Um, if you're a more casual gamer that just, you know, wants Madden, wants Call of Duty, is excited about Titanfall, you're going to get a next-gen console. So who is the Steam machine for? Who's the segment of consumer? Well, maybe you are, but maybe you're not. If Valve can say, no, you can get Titanfall on the Steam box, and look, we've got all these other great indie PC games, and we've solved the problem of the input situation that you have with, sure. you know, gamepads, it's hard to play RTSs with a gamepad. Sure. Like, nobody's really made a really great strategy game that works on the consoles. Firaxis has done a couple of things that have kind of helped, and yeah. Supreme Commander. There are other games that work, but as a whole, the market is not very friendly to those genres in the living room. Well, I'm operating under the assumption that the Steam box is going to be more than the consoles. Sure. So, and we don't know. Like, that's what do you the thing. mean, more? More money, sorry. You it's think gonna, it's going to cost more? I think it's okay. more than $500? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, wow. okay, so, so there, there, are there are different levels of Steam box. And right. they, they, haven't, sure. they haven't announced exactly what they will, what they will be yet. Uh, but they've, they've said in the past it will be like a good, better, best kind of thing. Yeah. The low end will probably be mostly a streaming machine. And with, Ouya, uh, well, no, streaming level. from your PC somewhere else in your right, house. Right, right. So you would but, still need a PC. Yeah, mm -hmm. but, but also probably have Ouya level graphics on right. its own where it can run games right. that, are, that are native to SteamOS. And that's not even, I, I want to emphasize that those aren't necessarily junky games. Like right. there's FTL, there's great low end games that might be worth playing on a low end piece of hardware. Yeah, and there's, there's lots of stuff that, that, that's available. I think uh, the Steam uh, Linux section right now has, what was it, 250 games? More, 400, 400 plus. Yeah. Um, not all of them are you know, worth playing necessarily, but there are, there are plenty of them out there. And very few of those, with the exception of the ones that the Valve has made itself, like all of Valve's games uh, are cross-platform across PC, Mac, and, and Linux, um, and consoles. But uh, with the exception of those, very few of them require a lot of graphical oomph to, to make that happen. But you will still be able to play, if you have a, a gaming PC in your house, on your home network, you will still be able to stream mm -hmm. um, your PC games to your TV using this box. Uh, the higher level Steam, uh, Steam machines are basically just PCs that will come pre-installed with, with, uh, with SteamOS. At least that's what they've led us to believe so far. So they call it SteamOS? 
You could call it that, yes. There's a potential for confusion, right? I mean, There's maybe it's already it. confusing, right? If you buy an Xbox, any Xbox you game, you know it's going to play mm -hmm. on there, right? But if there's a variety of different Steam boxes, you, you don't know if Titanfall can play on your box, right? Well, See, that's why I have a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. I think there's a 50-50 chance that they'll do something like this. I think they might have... SteamOS might come with diagnostic tools built in, mm -hmm. baked into the machine itself. You can... Benchmark your computer now using you know various benchmarking the tools. Windows user experience. <laughs> yeah, the Windows, Windows user experience and stuff. But like you know, there's third-party benchmarking tools that this is how graphic cards are rated, right? Right. and you can see how it rates on you know these different 3D benchmarking tools. And I think that'll. My suspicion is that they might have something like that baked into mm -hmm. the OS itself. That like it wouldn't let you buy Titanfall unless right. So it'll say like, run. look, you have a level seven computer, and you know to run Skyrim on ultra settings, you need level six or higher. It creates a so. huge customer support like marketing problem for them. But let's not forget like is Val that a problem? Like it solves the problem, I think. Well, if, sort if of, they but, had that system, yes. But the, you have the problem already with the absence of a return market in digital, right? Like, mm -hmm. I buy a sure. digital game and it doesn't work. What do I do? Like, I can't take it back to the store. That no. doesn't mm -hmm. work. And if you've got this added sort of uh, ambiguity in the hardware profiles, I think that's a big can of worms for them. I mean, I'm suggesting removing the ambiguity, though. Like, right now, it's a big pain point in PC gaming. I bought Skyrim. It runs fine on my computer, but, like, it kind of runs somewhere in between medium and high, and I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect. Is it going to run well? Is it not going to run well? I can do a lot of research and look that up, or I can just buy it on the Xbox, and I'm good yeah. to go. And so if you can say, look, I got, you know, my computer is a level 5 Steam machine, so it's going to run these 500 games just fine. And if I can know that and I'm good to go, that solves a problem, in my opinion. Well, so here's the thing, though. They could have done that years ago, and they haven't. And I presume it's probably because of, of a lot of different factors where you can never, even if you benchmark a PC, PC you can never really be sure mm -hmm. uh, that, that a game is going to perform well because mm -hmm. of all kinds of driver considerations and, and you know, There's bugs. weird interactions between CPUs and GPUs. Yeah, it's, and it, there's all kinds. I mean, like, PCs have literally millions of, of different possible configurations, and that's not even factoring in the software. So I think I I think that the only way they'd be able to do that is by selling a specific model of of PC, which would be the Steam Box. Um, and I don't think they'd be able to benchmark uh, do the benchmarking kind of thing any any better than they can now. Yeah, sure. Um, and we, we should we should clarify here what, what a Steam machine is is just a PC. Like that they have they have told us nothing about to expect anything other than just a PC that has their OS installed on it. You will be able to download Steam OS and put it on an existing computer that you have. It's it's basically just Linux, and Linux runs on anything. It'll run on a Mac. Um, so like, what's well, a layer on top? It's going to be Steam Big Picture mode running on Linux. Right. Basically. I mean, well, the the OS will there will be Steam OS that will be pared down to to basically focus on games, and then Steam will run on top of that. At, you know, very tightly integrated. For me, the exciting thing is we're seeing now in the hardware and OS environments the same thing we used to see just in the software market, right? Like, user-created content has always been a big thing on the PC and is now making a big splash on the consoles, um, you know, with games like Minecraft and things like that. Mm -hmm. But we still haven't seen, like, the full-on, 100% committed to mod support uh, attitude that we see on the part of... that we used to see from, like, say, Epic, mm -hmm. right? Now we're seeing uh, Valve come out and say, we want to extend that attitude um, and that sort of agency to the market with regard to the hardware platform and the OS entirely, right? Like, it's based on Linux. It's very open source, so... What's exciting to me is what are other people going to do with this thing, not what's Valve going to do with it. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and there's lots of opportunities there, and, and Valve could very well have a Steam workshop for SteamOS. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't see how they could not. Like, SteamOS is just Steam, as far as we know. Right. We don't know. Like, there's yeah. a lot of questions. But that's the impression that I got, is I'd be very surprised if SteamOS didn't have Steam Workshop and all, you know, all the features you expect from that run on Steam right now. Yep. 
mean, we, we haven't seen anything about what, what SteamOS actually is yet, so yeah. a lot of this is pure it's, speculation. It's, How do you think the controller is going to factor into it with the, the trackpads and everything? It's a fascinating design, I think. Uh, no, we're not really going to know how it works in practice until we get our hands on it. Right. I mean, a, a controller, like, it's pure, like, you have no idea what you're talking about until you have put your hands on it. Right. And, you, and in this case, it looks like until we've actually used it to play a game because so much of it is based on uh, their, their idea that haptic feedback on mm -hmm. those touchpads, it's got two touchpads for, for your thumb. And so there's no uh, control stick. There's no D-pad. It's just touchpads. Um, it's but got some ridges so that you can know without looking down that you're centered on it. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're kind of a, a, a convex, yeah. um, or is it concave? Concave. Well, it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a concave uh, <laughs> touchpad, um, and it, it will vibrate in a very specific way. They're claiming some very advanced uh, haptic feedback technology that, that could be really interesting. Well, I've, I've, had, I've had experience with some of that. There was a company, I think, called uh, iTouch or iSense. It was a company uh, about 10 years ago. They came out with a line of mice that used a very texture-specific kind of force feedback where it could feel soft or hard or brittle, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really cool. And nobody ever really used that for gaming. You just get that sort of one-size-fits-all rumble in all the yep. game pads. There's a couple interesting things with the control pad that, like, it's so foreign and alien and strange and different that it's taken, you know, kind of sort of the course of the day right. to sort of sink in. One thing that didn't dawn on me right away is that there are buttons on the left side of this control pad that you will be hitting with your left thumb. Mm -hmm. Like, that's new. Like, we just haven't seen, like, that's going to feel, that just shows how Valve is willing to do things different and crazy right. than what other people Is that do. different than, like, a D-pad on an Xbox controller? Well, sure, but, like, so there are a few games like GTA that you use, like, the right D-pad for actual game actions, but for the most part, no. For the most part, the left, your left thumb is usually only used for movement in yeah. games. One of the things Valve said is this is a controller that is entirely symmetrical. Yep. It's so if you're a left-handed gamer, it doesn't matter because mm -hmm. the buttons are laid out the same left to right. Yeah, and that's a big deal. I think so... They have to convince PC gamers that this controller is a viable alternative to using a mouse and keyboard. If you're a PC gamer right now, it's as easy as picking up your mouse and moving it on the other side of your right. keyboard, and then suddenly you have a left-handed gaming setup. Mm -hmm. Controllers aren't like that traditionally. They haven't been. Mm -hmm. um, you know, If you're a lefty, you can't really flip things around. You don't have any option to do that, and now you do, and I think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. it, it'll be really interesting to see if their you know, claims of how, how precise this thing is uh, will actually hold up to, you know, compared to a, a mouse and keyboard. Mm -hmm. They're saying you can play an RTS with this. Which is a pretty bold claim for for a gamepad, and, and not not just an RTS that's designed for a controller, but an actual like you're saying they're saying you can play StarCraft or Supreme Commander or something like that with this. What which, do you think your APM could be on StarCraft with this controller? Uh, my APM is terrible with the mouse and keyboard. <laughs> so is mine. Like probably not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably not very good. But like if if you can play League of Legends from your couch, um, like that would be pretty huge. Um, and you know it's all customizable. The, the you know what button does what. So you know if you if you you could conceivably map, map that out to be a, a pretty good usable system. I mean, how I think. How much do you think the friends and family announcement earlier played into this? Like, is this part of one package? Um, I mean, I, I it I think it's kind of the continual evolution of Steam. I mean, it's it's never really been that big a deal to share a Steam account between two people because. Right. Like if you log on in one place, if somebody's, if you're playing with a Steam account and I log into that same same Steam account, it will kick you off. What are you doing and, to my Steam account? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is uh, so. It's, it, this is kind of similar to that, except that there is a warning period, um, and I don't have to give out my password if I want to share my Steam account. So it's it's not that big of a of a transition for them. Um, it seems to fit better with the living room experience. Yeah, like, like just turn it on and go, thing. and then you don't really need to think about it right. too much. And it, it could very well be that this will play into like if you have this, a Steam OS, a Steam OS box in your living room, 
that logs into your Steam account, uh, you don't it won't kick you off of the Steam account in your on your on your desktop PC. So it could be something to do with that. You know, they needed uh, to have people logged in simultaneously to the same account anyway. So why not do it? I think. I mean, I still go back to the business side of it. I hate to sound so negative because I'm actually pretty excited about the Steam Box and I do want one. No, you don't. <laughs> well, what, what, are you, what, no, what are you saying? What, do you, what does that mean? Why I not? The quote was, it's dumb. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't it. say it's <laughs> dumb. What are you talking about? You said, those are the literal words you said. When? At lunch? No, right before we started filming. Mm. Maybe it's on camera. Mm. <laughs> we'll see if it's on camera. Yeah. I just don't, I, I'm very skeptical. With the part of me that's skeptical is that I feel like Damon is a special case. Damon is someone that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you're someone that Run is interested us. in PC gaming, wants to play PC games, but doesn't like sitting at a desk playing it and, mm. you know, doesn't own a powerful PC right now. I don't know how many people there are that are out there like that. So to, for someone to want a Steam Box, it needs to be a gamer that. A has the money to spend. That's going to be. I mean, Dan, I'm thinking 800 bucks. That's the number that I have in my head. It depends on on what what kind of machine you're looking at. But to run modern games. Mm -hmm. I, it, it again. It, it depends on what what uh, what what kind of game you're, you're ballpark you're... it for me, Dan. Okay, because so... I'm making a point here. <laughs> right, right. So if if they're building a machine to play games built to run on Linux, sure. Um, then you don't need a very powerful machine at all. You could probably you could probably get away with a four hundred dollar machine, four or five hundred dollars. Okay, so you need um, a machine that it, it, you're buying that instead of a next gen console. Yes. All right. That's the, the that's the price equivalent there. Mm -hmm. And so who is the gamer that buys that instead of a PS4 or an Xbox One? I mean, like, who is? Is it someone that already has a PC? Is it someone that doesn't have a PC that's interested? Like, I don't get it. I don't know who the audience is. I don't. I don't think that people that have existing P, that have existing gaming PCs will be interested in that in that level of Steam box. So that's a I huge think, portion of Steam's audience already just lopped right off. Well, no, because the, there are people that like somebody like me or you who who has a gaming PC would still still buy the low end Steam box, plug it into our TVs, and we can stream from our from our. PCs, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. I'm, and I'm like, again, I'm not married to what I'm saying right now at all. I'm waiting for someone to convince me and explain to me, you know, who the audience is. Right. I, I, I do think that, that Valve is positioning it to compete with, with current gen or next gen consoles. That's what I want to ask. You know, on the eve of the release of Xbox One and PS4, is this a disruptive third no. console that's entering or is it a separate thing? What it, would make it disruptive is if Valve as a game publisher at that point said, hey, do you want to play Half Life 3? It's exclusive. Guess what? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's a real thing. They wouldn't say goodbye entirely to the console market, but they have some muscle there, I think. I mean, that title has enough, uh, sure. there's enough anticipation that people will care where sure. it is first. If they, if they had Half-Life 3, Left 4 Dead 3, Portal 3, uh, Team Fortress 3, then, you know, it would be, it'd be hilarious if, if Valve suddenly counted to three four times. But, the new uh, orange box, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I, basically, if they had that kind of catalog exclusive to the Steam box, then suddenly they have something to compete with with anything on. So you don't think they would release those games on PC on Windows? I think they well, would. That's what I think. But yeah. because they because that would still be tied to your Steam, the Steam ecosystem. It's, they're just PC games, right? right? So and and either either way though, the, the OS that the, you run it on on a, on a PC is free. So even even if they did you know make that a Steam OS exclusive, uh, it it would be an extra hurdle you'd have to jump through to play it. But you could do it with at no extra cost. Steam right now is a platform, right? Yeah. It's just on the software side. Steam's my platform of choice. That's why I want to like. Even do you think this is dumb? Well, that's what I mean. That's why I'm stuck in this weird spot where I'm skeptical about the Steam Box, even though I love Steam. Right. Yeah. And I'm not skeptical of it as a product. I think it's going to be very cool. I'm intrigued about the controller. I'm skeptical about its ability to really make a splash when it launches. Um, and and I, I totally agree with you that that like as as I see on Twitter, like lots of PC gamers getting like super hyped about the Steam Box. PC gamers should not be hyped about the Steam Box. What does they it already, do for you that you don't already have? They already have a Steam Box. Like the Steam OS 
maybe like that 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 is something that could help you like your steam box is taking an hdmi cable and plugging it into your tv from your exactly. from your computer and that, oh, that's it's strange to me that's what i keep trying it's to explain not that to people that simple well it is the controller though like that's what you would need right yeah it's just it's just not the same thing as just having a dedicated box that you just turn on and, and you go sure right and and one one thing that you can bet steam os will do is have at least a mode where you can you know pop pop up uh, uh, big picture mode and just go yeah so I mean, it appeals to me. I have something like 300 or 400 Steam games. So yeah, for sure. I'm super interested to see how they play on a controller. I like playing games in my living room. You know, we're, I live in San Francisco. I don't have a nice big office to play games in. So like, I, I get it from that perspective. I don't know how many people are, uh, care about Steam machines will care about Steam machines still. I mean, I, know, I, I think, like, you know. obviously right now, it, it's, not, it's not even like we don't even know what, the, what a Steam right. machine looks like. It's... it's too far out for it to actually com- to com- be competitive with the PS4 or the Xbox, Xbox One. In another year, that could very well change. That's the other thing. It sounds sure. this sounds early to me. Like, early. I, they I mean, announced they're, they're, it. They're beta testing pretty soon, right? Like October 25th, I think, is the cutoff for people to get into the yeah. program. But they, the beta test is like the controller doesn't have the touchscreen right. and it's wired only. Like it seems like. I get the weird sense, like the the announcement was polished and like the Q and A is kind of funny and the website looks nice and the renders all look good, but like they're announcing this thing kind of early. Like it doesn't seem finished yet. There's a lot they're not saying. There's a lot they haven't announced. It's sort of like an announcement of an announcement. Like, hey, we're working on this thing that's going to sure. come yeah, down the line. I think it's their then, expectation yeah. though was that they want to crowdsource a lot right. of the development yeah. of the hardware and the software sure. and the and the catalog. Right? It's it's them getting out in front of like they, they can't beta test it and expect it to remain secret. Right. Yeah. So they, they can't send send those those boxes and those OSs out without without expecting that to be posted all over all over the internet the next day. So they're just getting out in front of it and saying, you know, here's what we're, here's what we've got. We're going to be beta, beta testing it. And that way they control the message instead of For having sure. people speculating about it's it. It's totally different from, you know, Sony and Microsoft who come out and say, yeah. this is our new console. This is what it is. We've already decided everything. That's right. a great Whereas point. Valve I mean, is like, this is kind of what we're thinking about. What do you guys think? What right. do, that does appeal to me tremendously. I'm kind of the skeptic on this panel. And what I do love about this announcement is the wide open nature of it. Yeah. Look, you can build your own Steam box. You can buy one from us. You can buy one from another manufacturer. You here's know, a, yeah, here's our controller. Hack it. You know, make a Steam box that runs Linux. Also boot into Windows if you want. Do it you want like you, I'm you don't all, have to use the controller and that's, yep. that's an important note with this controller you don't have to you don't have to use that at all mm-hmm. for sure so that's that's very very appealing that coupled with the steam sales and steam already being a very you know rock solid infrastructure i have fast internet love getting games on steam um you know that that makes a better point to me than some of the other stuff that i've read and, so far. and actually you know if you, if you want to talk about how this would compete with a with a uh, you know xbox one or playstation 4 unless those guys adopt uh, the Steam model of, of sales. Yeah, they have to. That that will utterly blow them away when it, when it comes along. It will, it will be exponentially cheaper to play sure. recent games on a Steam box than it is on a, on a next-gen console. Think about all the ways that we've seen cool YouTube videos and demos of people who have hacked the technology in the Wiimotes and in the Kinect and done something really cool with it that has never made it into a game, yeah. right? Because Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo have such a tight control over the first-party development of that hardware. Yeah. With Steambox, it sounds like that's not an issue at all. If you make a really cool like scanning interface or something interesting that has some real applicability to games, the barrier to getting that out to the market is yeah. much lower on the Steambox than it would be here. So sure. in terms of innovation, I'm super excited. I do agree I have some reservations about the business model and what is this going to look like. But, but I also don't think, you know, uh, you know, to counter my own argument, like if they sell these Steam machines at a profit, which uh, you know they almost certainly would, there's no reason to sell it at a loss like you need to do with an Xbox and PlayStation. That's not their business model. 
like it almost doesn't matter how many they sell. Like they'll sell what they sell, and then people will use Steam using the Steam OS, or they'll use Steam doing on PCs. And it's sort of like, hey man, do what you want. And like if we sell a hundred of them, if we sell a hundred million of them, like it's kind of business as usual over at Valve. Potentially. Sure. Yeah, I mean, like their whole their whole thing is to get Steam in more places. They yeah. they don't they don't care how you're using Steam. They just want you using Steam because every okay. every game sold on Steam they get a, they get a taste of. I guess I'm coming around a little right. bit. So it's <laughs> hey, changing minds. Yeah. I mean, so did I, we even need to be here for this? Yes. <laughs> so here's one thing that that a lot of people have been talking about that that isn't going to happen. Valve will not subsidize these these this hardware. They can't. They have the, no reason to. Well, they 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 do have a reason to because they want it in as many places as possible. Yeah. They, they want it. They want you playing on that instead of an Xbox, so that you buy from them and not from Microsoft. But they they cannot subsidize it directly because you, like these are just PCs. Like if if I was starting up a business and I needed cheap PCs for my office, I would just buy a bunch of subsidized PCs and then never play games on them. <laughs> so they they can't do that. Yeah. What they can do is they well, and for one thing, they're already saving money uh, over a typical PC because they don't have to pay Microsoft for an OS license. They're also saving on specs. The presumption is that you know a similarly specced machine running Windows versus running Steam OS, you know, you'll get a performance boost in your games in Steam OS. Conceivably, yes, because the OS will, will be lighter weight they than lean. Windows because it won't be, it will be designed to play games and virtually nothing else. Right. Uh, and you know, web browsing, of course. And and once you have a web browser these days, you can do virtually anything. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that they can do. Is give you discounts or credit towards Steam purchases. Um, so you you know buy a four hundred dollar box, but get you know, or you know buy a thousand dollar box even, but and get you know a discount on all your future Steam purchases because they can cut that out of the take that they take from from uh, from game uh, from game makers, game publishers, because they're a retailer like any other retailer. So when you buy, when you pay fifty bucks for a game on Steam, they get a chunk of that. Mm -hmm. They can take that out of their end and. Pass the savings along to you, and in return for your investment in there, and then all of a sudden you are, you know, somebody who has just bought into the Steam ecosystem is now locked into the Steam ecosystem because they have all these games they don't want to yep. give up. Well, they also Valve's gotten a lot more savvy over the years about, in a very gentle way, not in a mean way, but sort of twisting the arms of developers to to really leverage the weight and the the value of you know being on Steam. They they would do things like when they launched on Linux, they ran a big sale. Any game that supported Linux, you know, you could be a part of the sale, and everyone knows that Steam sales are where it's at for game developers. That's how they make all their money. When they launched Steam trading cards, any game that had trading cards is in this new trading cards category. It's another opportunity to get in front of people. And if you have your game on Steam OS, look, we're going to give you placement on, you know, the home page of the shopping page. We're going to give you, you know, its own special category, its own special leaderboard, its own special all this stuff. Just like the App Store, just like all these platforms, you know, you need to get in front of people in as many different ways as you can, and you can be sure they'll do all that sort of thing to up that number of Linux games from, you know, four hundred to eight hundred to eight thousand. Like, yeah, and it's like Valve is is basically declaring war on Microsoft here. Wow. Like they they want they want Microsoft off of gaming PCs. They don't they don't want Windows there anymore. They don't want an Xbox controller there anymore. Like they 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 want Microsoft just out of the picture. I agree with them. I mean, really, like look at the support Microsoft has failed to give yep. Windows gaming yep. year after year after year, as more and more titles debut on Xbox and old PC franchises completely disappear. It's annoying. As, as a longtime PC gamer, I'm very frustrated by that. So I'm happy to see Valve kind of take take a stand there. I agree. I mean, as a gamer that loves, maybe there's not a lot of gamers like me, but I like really weird experimental indie stuff. I buy all the humble bundles, um, and I play AAA stuff, and it's like. You can get the AAA stuff on consoles, and they're getting a lot better about indie support too, but they're still not wide open in the way that PCs are, right? It's really like PC and mobile is where hot, weird, experimental indie stuff is. And it's like a Steam box could provide that in a way that an Xbox or PS4 couldn't. Do you guys remember the Phantom? Yeah. <laughs> so ever since I heard about the Phantom, I wanted 
a box hooked up to my TV where I could just play PC games with no fuss. So that's why the Steam box is exciting for me. Well, and the only exciting thing about the Phantom was, was the lap board. And that actually did come out, and it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that's what actually made it out. Uh, so yeah, the beta begins later this year. Well, October 25th very is the tiny cutoff yeah. for consideration for the beta. Right. There's going to be a very number, limited number of slots. You're right, supposed so to be able to buy one next year. Yeah, so sometime, sometime in 2014. That's yeah. another reason why I think that they announced this kind of early, like maybe earlier than, you know, they had to get out in front of the next-gen consoles, is that beta is 300 people is all. Yeah, Just yeah. 300. Like, that's yeah. beyond tiny. Like... Yeah. They're still in like the discovery phase, the information gathering phase for sure. Like it seems like a real beta, not a marketing beta. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited. Uh, that's all the scoops we have here this week. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Steve. My name is Damon. This is IGN Game Scoop, and we're out. Smash a beer can <laughs> in your face. So are, are we gonna are we gonna talk about day one, day two, day three, or are we gonna do it all in one beer? We just do all in one, one. We know it all now. We don't have to go down the line. Okay. Where's your beer? Well, I, I, all right, I, guys. I'm rolling. So Damon, when you are ready, take it away. Might be a good idea to, to uh, compartmentalize it like that, because otherwise it's all gonna become one big uh, mishmash. Big. I don't know. Damon knows Let's what Damon does. <laughs> Damon, Damon does what Damon does. Damon does what Damon do. Yes, I like that. Don't do what <laughs> Donnie Damon don't do. Yeah. Anyway. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.